You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. We're going to be continuing in our series in James. Uh, we've talked about how James is an interesting character because he is Jesus' brother. He came from a place of unbelief to a place of belief, calling Jesus Lord. And uh, so he's an interesting character. We talked about how he tells us to face trials well, knowing that God's producing fruit in us. Uh, how he tells us if we're lacking wisdom, go to God. And last week we heard from Morris where James said, be hearers and doers of the word. Don't be like a person who goes and looks in a mirror and sees they've still got their breakfast on their face and then walks away and doesn't do anything. But go and let the Bible show you where there is something action needs to be done. Go and do it. Go and respond to what the Word of God says, because Morris was just telling us that what God wants to do in our lives is cause growth, help us to change into the likeness of Jesus for our good and for his glory, that we would change our appetites and our emotions and what we give ourselves to. Today, James wants to talk to us about saving faith, saving faith or other types of faith. And just before we kick off, I want to give you a little bit of a a history lesson. I wonder if you know that this year is the 500th anniversary year of? Well done, the Reformation, yes. And if you don't know what the Reformation is, it was begun by a man called Martin Luther. uh, And it was a watershed moment in history, not just church history, but world history. Absolutely changed the course of history, changed the world as we know it. We still feel the effects of it today. Martin Luther being a Bible lecturer in a university in um, Germany believed what the, 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 the church was teaching at the time, that the gospel was a gospel of works. That to get right standing before God, right relationship with God, to gain righteousness, you needed to work hard. You needed to do the sacraments. You needed to pay penance. You needed to work your way up to God's good books. That's what most of the world still believes today. If I'm generally good enough, God will owe me. I can get God in my debt. That is what all the other world religions teach. Every other world religion teaches, if you do, 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 your God may owe you. May get, you may get to a right standing before your God. Martin Luther t- believed this because that's what the church taught. And then he started to realize, but this condemns me because I can't get this righteousness. This righteousness of God condemns me. It's too high for me to obtain. I can't get there. And he lived in fear, lived in oppression from the weight of God's righteousness. And he would read things like Romans 1 that say, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And he would think this righteousness of God oppresses me because it just makes me realize I'm guilty. It's like cleaning a car, mirror, a car window with a dirty rag. The more I wipe, it just gets worse and worse. I can try and get righteous, but I can't get there. And the more he read in books like Romans, Paul's teaching, the more he realized, ah, wait a minute. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. doesn't mean it oppresses me. It means he's offering me a righteousness. I can't get there. So God had to come and... Give me righteousness, a gift of righteousness. And Paul's teaching again and again says, 
Things like this, for it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. And suddenly Martin Luther feels the weights fall off, the guilt, the condemnation falls. And he knows this is the truth of the gospel, that we can stand free. And Christians, we want to teach you this every week here at Hope. That you stand free in Christ, that your identity has changed. And you can't lose your righteousness. You can't make a mistake and lose, oh, I've lost my righteousness. I sinned. I've lost it. No, but do you know why? Because your your righteousness rose from the grave, ascended, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Your righteousness is sitting next to God. So you can't lose that. It's secured for you. Your righteousness is secured for you. Paul doesn't just say, okay, so now you've got in through Jesus' death and resurrection. Now you need to work hard at keeping that righteousness. No, he says a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Then he goes to say the righteous will live by faith. We don't just get in by faith and then work really hard to keep God happy. No, we know our lives are lives of faith in Jesus' completed work. That's why Jesus at the cross said, it is finished. I have accomplished it. You stand in my accomplished, finished work. So Christians, we know this freedom of, I don't have to keep working. Hopefully God will be happy with me. He is happy with me in Jesus. I am free to live this life that God has called me to live, a life of good works. So Tim, what are you talking about this for? We're talking about James. Well, James goes on to say today in chapter 2 something that sounds to be contradictory to everything I've just said. So I wanted to lay the foundation that it's not contradictory. James was in relationship with Paul. They were friends. He didn't teach against him. In fact, when Paul became a Christian, he used to be a a Christian killer, turned to a Christ follower. And when he became a Christian, he actually went and met with James, and James helped him through the process of of being a follower of, of Jesus. So James and Paul were in relationship. James is not saying, forget what Paul says, even though it sounds a bit like he is. So we want to understand they're teaching the same gospel, And we're going to go on to see what does James say in just a moment. I'm going to pray. Father, we just thank you for your commitment to us in Jesus. Thank you that we wake up as Christians righteous every day. We know your commitment to us. We know that our righteousness is secure. That Jesus did say it is finished. There's nothing I can add to what Jesus has done. We thank you for your grace upon our lives. And I pray today as we hear your word that we would do what we heard last week. We would let it impact us. We would do what it calls us to do for our good and for your glory. While our eyes are closed, just pray a quick prayer. Say, God, will you speak to me today? Amen. I want to keep asking you to do that because I want us to say we're not just here to be entertained. We're passive. We're here to interact with God's word. So that's why I keep asking you to pray. So James seems to be saying contradictory stuff we're going to come to in just a moment to what Paul says. But I just want to say two things quickly. Paul and James were speaking to different audiences. That's quite significant. Two different audiences. If a doctor says he wants to promote health to two different people, to one person he says, you need to put your feet up and not do any activity for a few weeks. To another person, he says, you need to get on a treadmill and run and work hard. Is he giving contradictory advice? Well, he's actually promoting health for two different people. But he's saying to one person, you need to hear this because you've got a broken leg. Put your foot up. Saying to this person, you're out of shape. You need to get on a treadmill. 
He's promoting health for two different people, but he's saying what this person needs to hear and what this person needs to hear. And James is speaking to Jewish people, Jewish people who would have been used to being the people of God, God's chosen people. They would have said, yeah, I know what it is to be God's people, a child of God. I've memorized parts of the Torah, the Old Testament. I know the word of God. I know. And James wants to challenge them and say, do you think that's all it is? Do you, th- you really think that's all it is to have faith in God? It's just to know stuff. And he wants to challenge some of you today. I feel God wants to challenge I want to challenge you. Is that what you think it is, knowing some stuff? And Paul is the apostle, the sent person to the Gentiles, the people who didn't have a Jewish background. They're not Jewish people. They're not God's chosen people. They're people who are far away. And Paul wants to say to them, you who are far off have now been brought near by the blood of Jesus. And they would say to him, what do we have to do? Because we used to follow pagan gods. And they would say, do, do, do. And maybe you'll get good enough. And Paul wants to say to them, no, you need to get this. Jesus has done it. He's accomplished it. You don't have to do. You need to stand in the finished work of what Jesus has done. So do you see how two different audiences need to hear two different things, but it's the same gospel? And the second thing is that they they say slightly different emphases. Emphases? What's the plural of emphasis? Emphases, thank you. On what faith is. So without... Paul, it's hard to understand James. But without James, it's hard to understand Paul. We need to know, yes, it's saved by faith alone. Absolutely, Paul. What does this faith look like? Let's ask James. Okay, so James and Paul, they help us to understand what is this faith that God has called us to stand and live in. Let's look at chapter 2, verses 14 to 17. James says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that safe faith save him? That's the question today. Can this faith save you? This faith that has no evidence to back it up. It's a really important question. And that's why people have struggled with this book. Martin Luther, with his revelation of this gospel of grace, struggled with James. Because it sounds like he's saying, you know, it's by works. He struggled with it, but he's saying, look, there's a type of faith. If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Do you understand what he's saying here? We can say all we want. We can talk the talk all we want, but if there's no evidence for it, it's dead. Not it might be dead. It is dead. God wants to challenge some of us today. I hope that you're not sitting there thinking, oh, I'm glad so-and-so's here this week to hear this. Or I wish I'd invited so-and-so to hear this. But challenge yourself. Is this true for me? What can a dead body produce? Nothing. What can a dead tree produce? Nothing. No fruits can be produced. Dead faith cannot produce anything. It's faith in words only. It's unfruitful. It does nothing. It's maybe sentimental faith or even superstitious faith. When I was at uh, Sixth Form College, I got in my friend's car and he was a Catholic and he had some sort of pendant on the windscreen. I think it was St. Christopher, who is apparently patron saint of not crashing or something, I don't really know. But basically he thought, this will keep me safe. And it's like, it's a bit of metal. What good is that? It's just words. It doesn't do anything. 
And it's, it's a bit like that, to, to have this faith that is just words, but doesn't, isn't followed up by anything. James is saying it's actually dead faith. Nominal faith. If you were to ask me what football team I support, I would kind of grudgingly say Newcastle United, because I sort of pledged my allegiance to them when they were a good team to follow in 93. And uh, they're exciting then. But I haven't spent any money on following them for years. I haven't given any time to it. I sometimes look at what the scores are. You wouldn't know that I was a Newcastle United fan if you spent time with me, unless you asked me. And then even then you'd think, well, not much to back that up. I don't even know the names of the team. And some of us, it's like that with our Christianity. Some would say, are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, I don't see any evidence to back that up. Do you even know anything about Christianity? Do you ever spend time on it? Do you spend money? Do you, do you give yourself to it? And we can be uh, a lover of God in name only, a nominal Christian. And James is saying that is not saving faith. It's quite sobering. Okay, I have a faith, but is it saving faith? Is it a faith that produces anything? He then goes on to say you could have faith like a demon. Let's look at this. 18 onwards, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. You could have faith like a demon. The Gospels say that the demons would see Jesus coming and say, I know who you are. Have you come to destroy me? The demons know who Jesus is. Paul is saying... Sorry, James is saying, even the demons believe that in monotheism, they believe there's one God. Don't think, well, I know my theology. I even affirm the truth and think that that's saving faith. You could say, look, I I affirm this. I believe that Jesus was the Son of God. He died and rose again. I believe that. And if it's having no impact on your life, making no differences to the choices you make, he's saying it's just as good as the demons. You're not submitting to it. You don't come under the lordship of Christ. You just acknowledge the truth. But you don't let it move from your head to your heart to your hands and feet and your speech. It's just, I know it here. God wants us to say, I want you to have a faith that moves from here to here to action, to your fingers, to your limbs, to your speech. And James is hitting us head on with these challenges, isn't he? He's wanting us to know head on. This, he goes on to say, what living faith is. I wonder if we could just show the video in just a moment. This boy is a boy who is receiving, as a Christmas present, I think, or birthday present, his authentic official adoption papers from his parents. So get a tissue ready. This is what it means to know the salvation that God offers, that it moves your heart. I've been accepted into a family. I've been adopted. My, everything I've been through, my past has changed. God's forgiven me, and he, he adopts me into a family. And it doesn't just stick in my head. He didn't just say, oh, that's nice, put it to the side. It moved from his head to his heart to his hands. I've got to embrace my father. I've got to move. Is this so, sorry, it's so moving. This is what's happened for us. It's got to move us. It's got to move our hands and feet that we've been adopted. And James goes on to say what this living faith looks like. 
Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now he tells two Old Testament stories here. One is the father of the of Judaism, the father of the, the, the first covenant with God, the, the covenant that God agreed with his people and, and, and Abraham. He said, you will have descendants that will outnumber the stars. And then the interesting thing here is that Paul in Romans uses this same argument to talk about justification, salvation by faith alone. He says... Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. James says, yes, Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. I say the same thing. Now let's look at what that looked like. It was in action. You could see Abraham's faith. Abraham wasn't saying, I'm believing in my goodness for my right standing with God. He was saying, I'm believing in God's goodness, therefore I respond to that goodness with action. And we could get a bit muddled up and say, of course, God was happy with Abraham because Abraham was a good man. But just to undermine that, James says, oh, what about the prostitute, Rahab? Do you think she said to God, I've been a really good prostitute. I really come to you on my good works. No, she came to God on his goodness. She believed God and it was worked out in action. In the book of Joshua, Rahab was a prostitute who, who... who looked after some spies, God's people, and helped them escape. And she put herself, her own life, on the line, and it was faith in action. But she wasn't trusting in her good works. She was trusting in God's work, God's goodness, and it was displayed in her good works. So James is saying, look, you could have dead faith. You could have the faith that is what we could say creedal faith, affirming the truth but not letting it make a difference to your life. Or you can have living faith that moves from your head to your heart to your hands, moves in action. Jesus had this, he helped us with this in Matthew 19. A rich young man came to Jesus and it says, And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. Jesus is saying that you can't do it. There's only one that can do it. There's only one. Follow me. I'm the only one. Does he leave it there? No, he doesn't leave it there. Even though I'm the only one, there's only one who is good. The man asked, what good deed must I do? He said, well, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I've kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, 
if you would be perfect, go sell your possessions, give your money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So Jesus is saying, look, I'm the only way. I'm the only way. But following me will look like something. It will mean putting down other things and taking up me. It will mean saying goodbye to things, things that are very important to you, and saying, but God, you're more important. Like if you know the the parable, the pearl of great price, to say, "I, I see Jesus as better than anything, everything else I can put aside for following him. It will look like something. And the man went away and said, I can't, I can't do that. And Jesus, it goes on to say, said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man, it's impossible. It's impossible with us on our own. But he does finish by saying, with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. But there's a challenge in here for us because we don't understand in our Western culture how rich we are. We're so rich. We live in a benefits culture where I don't even have to work and the government will look after me. I can get child support. I can get support in lots of different areas. And I'm so rich and... I've got so many things distracting me. And Jesus wants to warn us and say, it's so hard for that sort of people to get into heaven. Because you're unwilling to put other things down and say, no, I follow you. And I believe that God wants to challenge us with that this morning. Do you want to put other things down and say, God, you alone, Jesus alone is worthy of my praise, of my praise, of my faith. I want to say, I have a living faith. I trust in him and him alone. You see, Paul says we're saved by faith alone. James says, yes, but saving faith never remains alone. Not just words. It looks like something. And God wants to challenge some of you today. Some of you know I'm not really moved to action. Maybe you know my faith died a long time ago, a bit like my Newcastle United support. Died a long time ago. I don't really give anything to it now. Maybe you think, I believe, maybe even in my heart I believe, but I'm not moved to action. It doesn't, doesn't affect my hands and my feet and my speech. And God wants to say to you, this is a grace to you today. You might feel a bit slapped on the wrist. This, doesn't, this isn't very nice. Remember we said a few weeks ago, this Bible, when you read it, it should shape you. You don't say, well, I don't like this. There was a, a president in America who used to cut bits out of the Bible that he didn't like. We don't do that. We keep it in there and say, oh, that's uncomfortable for me. Now, how do I adjust myself? I don't want to adjust this. I adjust myself. And some of us today, we need to come under the grace of God that this is an opportunity for you to say, God, would you revive my dead faith? Would you breathe life into my faith? I repent. I'm sorry that I've just let it die. Would you breathe life into it? Would you wake it up again? Just lastly, an illustration. I don't know if you know this story. There was a man years ago who used to do a tightrope across the Niagara Falls. You know this story? And uh, people would come and watch him go over Niagara Falls. This is true. And one time he got a wheelbarrow. 
And he put it on the line and he said, okay, who wants to, who believes I can do this? Who, who believes I could wheel them over the Niagara Falls? And lots of people said, yeah, I believe you could do this. He said, who wants to get in? Not so many people <laughs> stood forward. It's probably one of those occasions where everyone else stood back and one person was at the front. <laughs> Somebody did. Somebody got in and he took them across. But God's saying, come on, today, get in. Get in with me. Put things into action. Even if it hurts, even if it steps on your toes, trust me. Let me shape your faith. Let me see living faith in you. Because living faith is about life. He's not calling you to, to death. He's calling you to die to yourself so that you could find life in him. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.